Hello, this is Stephen G. Fullwood, and this is my coda for last week's episode on gratitude. I re-listened to the episode to refresh my brain about what it is I said, what Seth said, and what Travis said, and I loved it all. And I was very happy that two of the things that I chose, the internet and living in New York City, um, had so many, um, I was so happy, I'm so happy to be in this environment and be a part of cyberspace. And I guess one of the things I wanted to sort of point out or maybe dig into a little bit more and something that's uh, something that I was thinking about related to friendships. And I mentioned during the episode that I'm grieving right now, the death of my father. And it grief is, grief tells you what to do. You don't tell it what to do. So you might get up in the morning and have a day planned and then grief goes, no, I think you're going to sit on the couch and kind of just look at YouTube videos. That's what you're going to do. And I feel really grateful because a great deal of what it is that makes me happy um, involves my friendships, living in New York City, and um, the internet, and just learning things. I love being able to pull out my phone and look up something architectural to learn that it's Bose Arts versus neoclassical or some sort of mixture of both. I love being in an environment where it's normal to read, that everyone, whether they're on their phone or looking at, I mean, a lot less newspapers these days, but except for the daily rags, watching people read. Um, I enjoy pursuing an idea, a thought, um, a visual, something that I want to do visually that I can't seem to get, but that I work at it to try to get it. This is the environment where I feel most supported. Not to say that I don't feel supported by my family in Ohio, it's just a different kind of support. And here I can audition a variety of, guess what I'm gonna do today? Or text a friend and say something goofy, like refer to me as for the next week or so, because this is the space I'm in, that kind of thing. and. New York is just wildly entertaining, um, instructive. Um, when I think of what I see daily in Harlem specifically, there's just so much going on. I know where I um, do my clothes, where I wash my clothes rather. I, I talk with the proprietors and we talk about history and the history of Harlem and what he does, and his family's owned this laundromat for so many years and all of that. Um, barbers that I've had over the years, where I've watched them, watched them grow into their practice and what, in some cases watched their children grow up, which is awesome. I feel that during the pandemic, when it had occurred to me that this was the place I wanted to live, after so many years of fretting um, and hand-wringing over what it, is, what it is I wanted from a place where I was going to live. Or did I want to live overseas? Did I want to be between continents? What did I want to do? Some of it was financial, but a lot of it was just thinking about a place to choose. And I think Ohio is the place I was born in. I chose Atlanta for school. I chose D.C. To, to take a fellowship at the Library of Congress. But I chose New York not only for the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture, but I chose it because my family was here. My best friend Carla, my child. And over the years, New York 
slowly became familiar to me as places do when you move to them. Um, the sounds, uh, the neighborhood itself, the different kinds of people that have been here for a while, as well as people who just moved here, the kinds of cultural activities, the restaurants, the nail salons, the liquor stores, sometimes the trash on the street, the crime. Um, there was all, there were always people here that weren't doing well um, that I would see from time to time and in some cases give a dollar or two when I can, or when I could. But there's, there's, after the, during the pandemic, and I can't really say post-pandemic or post-pandemic response to Travis, um, is that services for people have dwindled in some cases, um, and people are just not doing well, you know, and it's really disheartening. In addition to that, or keeping that in mind, I'm still fully in love with New York City in a way that I have never been in love with any other city. Um, and again, I just want to proclaim my love for New York City. And as uh, um, to wrap it up in terms of the internet, it continues to give me much of what it is I want out of life, a place of wonder and a place to wander and to, um, to build friendships, to enjoy social media, with all its limitations and um, dangers. But um, I think what I'd love for folks to, or listeners to do is really think about what grounds them and what helps them um, see as clearly as possible the way they're in the world, but also how they're connected to the rest of the world. So, and what they're choosing. And New York makes me hyper self-aware, not just visually like what I'm wearing or what have you, but it makes me, um, it turns up the volume in a way that I appreciate. And that, my friends, is the end of my coda. Thank you. Hi, this is Seth Rodney coming to you from where I live in Newburgh, New York. I'm about to leave for a month away, I think for the first time from the podcast when Travis and I started it. I'm not really sure how many years ago. I am going away to the Bahamas to spend time at a friend's house to begin to write the first chapter of my memoir, my autobiography. I think it's time I did. But never mind that. This is my note for the coming week which I am recording early. I am speaking to you from the evening of Wednesday, August 31st. And I had some responses to Travis and Stephen talking about, on the last podcast, how they really appreciate living in this information age where... Because of the internet and adjacent technologies, we've come to the place where we're a culture worldwide that is very information forward. We have a ton of knowledge at our disposal, depending, of course, 
on the degree to which we are socioeconomically privileged. I feel like it's important to say that. I want to say this. Um, the person who wrote Necromancer, uh, who was that, Neil something, said that the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. I want to use this note to take a little bit out of the air of Travis's and Stephen's sales regarding the information age. I don't mean to. It's not mean-spirited at all, me saying this. I just happened to listen to a podcast this past, well, uh, yesterday, really, Podcast from the Daily, which is a New York Times podcast, and the episode is titled Inside the Adolescent Ma Mental Health Crisis. And it starts off with um, the host, Michael Mabaro, speaking to a Times reporter, Matt Richtel, about this health crisis. And what Matt starts off with is some... Um, numbers uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, not quotations but statistics that are supposed to kind of scare the audience into paying attention so I'll just repeat them here to set the table in 2019 according to Matt Richter 13% of adolescents reported a major depressive episode and um, this is a 60% 60, 60 increase from 2007. Mind you, that's 13 if I'm hearing him correctly, so that's not that many. But he does also report that suicide rates leapt nearly 60% from from 2007 to 2018, though they were stable for the previous seven years. And he talks about growing up in the 80s, and he and I are essentially the same age. And I remember these issues being very much talked about via commercials, uh, on TV, uh, television shows, movies, uh, print advertising, that the big sort of dangers for adolescents at the time I was growing up was binge drinking, teen pregnancy, driving while intoxicated, and, and drug use. And, um, uh, oh, and cigarette, cigarette smoking. And what he says in this report uh, Matt does is that basically lo small town local pediatricians are and family doctors are overwhelmed with the mm, the population that needs mental health issue and mental health help and he uses the example of a woman no, that's not, I'm sorry of a person who identifies as non-binary uh, they are named C I want to say in Iowa somewhere 
Uh, I'm not sure if I remember this correctly. Uh, there's a lot to digest in this podcast, the one I was listening to. Essentially, what C discovered as C was making their way through puberty was that uh, as they began to... And, and, and part, I, have to, I have to preface this by saying that part of what Matt's argument is is that this crisis is happening because people are... Children, really, are hitting puberty earlier and earlier. They're saying that this is that girls are having their first menstruation at 12 and boys are sort of following that trend. I seem to recall that Romeo and Juliet, though, which I think was set in 17th century Florence, Juliet was probably age 13. So I actually don't think that that's that much of a difference. I actually think that this program would have benefited, or this podcast episode would have benefited from having a sociologist weigh in. Because I'm not convinced that Matt knows enough about what he's talking about. I do believe there is a mental health crisis, and using the example of C, he talks about how this person went online, when she got an iPod Nano, I think that's the machine. It was an iPod, it may not have been a Nano. But got one at 10 and went online and started posting images of themselves, various activities, and they say that they got back a bunch of really awful... Her, they, they, they describe it as disgusting. Um, I think sexualized commentary and outreach isn't the right word, but uh, lots of people reaching out to them to communicate what they thought about their de that, that person's development. So what Matt describes is C falling into this spiral of um, a, a self-harming, which is a kind of, I forget what the phrase, the phrase he used, but it was a way to sort of, well, C says that they use it as a way to ground themselves. It was a kind of uh, self uh, what was the term they used? Self. Not, 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 not. It was self affirming? No, not self affirming. It was something like a way to distance themselves from the pain of dealing with all these online, unwanted, unsolicited comments and. Uh, dehumanizing uh, communication. So I want to say to Travis and Stephen, you know, the information age is not all strawberries and rainbows. It's really seemingly put a, a, a generation at risk. And I want to break this down. I, this was important for me to understand. I had to listen to the podcast a couple of times to grasp this. So the issue is not that, not just that, that they're being inundated by all these unwanted comments from people when they put themselves, make themselves available on social media. 
the issue is that as an adolescent, they are coming into the moment in their lives when they are moving out from that nurturing space, which is very much about them. That uh, you know, classically or um, ideally, is a parent and sibling maybe structure which is very much geared towards making that person be in the world in a way that is happy and free. They come into an adolescent, they come into a social, or they become aware of the social situation which they're in, in which competition and hierarchy start to play very important roles. And they have to begin to make a way to be in that in this world of adults where we harangue and dismiss and accept and love and idolize and fetishize and desire people for all sorts of reasons. And the argument that Matt makes is that at that point in their development physically, they're not able to make the sort of their brain just isn't developed enough to make the sort of regulatory moves that like an adult would make. Or the self-aware sort of steps that one would take to protect oneself in certain horrible situations. And that makes perfect sense to me, of course. Um, human adolescence is one of the longest um, processes in the animal kingdom. It just takes a hell of a long time to actually go from birth to being able to like exist on our own or survive, exist to the extent that we can survive on our own. And so we're here. And I think that the information age is part of this crisis. The children, really, they are children aren't yet able to fully process all the sort of nuances and issues at play in being a social creature in the world, especially one who has to be mediated by electronic media. This is a tough road to hoe, and... When I listened to this podcast, it just felt like like it's just going to be really difficult for us to get to the point where we know how to care for and properly nurture each other through these difficult transitional moments. So a lot of people are getting referred to child psychiatrists or psychiatrists and a lot of people are getting medicated. And medication is not necessarily a bad thing. For some people it's just it's restorative. I just think that I don't know that we're ready for the information age is here. Ready or not, but I don't know that we are actually mentally ready for it. So there's that. I'll be able to talk to you all in about a month. Take care. This is my note for last week's podcast on gratitude. 
Um, I, uh, I stand by the things that I was grateful for last week. Um, I, you know, grateful for being alive at a time and place where your tribal uh, affiliation, your ethnic identity, your gender is, uh, no longer a permissible shorthand for dismissing you as a human being in polite company, at least, even if we feel differently in private, uh, it's nice to live in a time and place, uh, where that doesn't get a lot of oxygen. And I, uh, you know, had praise for the internet and, uh, said that I was happy that it, uh, took the piss out of, uh, some elites, which I understand is, you know, uh, it's certainly not the most generous, um, point of view, but it is honest. I am happy for those things. Um, anything that helps, um, helps us all feel a little bit more humble, um, I think can only be a benefit, um, to us as a species. Um, but you know, probably what I am most grateful for is what Thoreau uh, thorough, I guess you're supposed to say, even though I never can quite bring myself to say it unselfconsciously, um, said that to be alive is uh, better than to not be alive. When that life is is a joy on its own terms, and to feel an animal body is a joy on its own terms. And of course, I'm sure that's less true if you're suffering uh, from a racking disease, um, or moments before your death, uh, or if you're starving, uh, or certainly if you're thirsty, um, I understand that the world is steeped in suffering. Um, there's 6 billion of us, uh, plus, uh, and for an unfortunate percentage, life is not a joy. I understand that. I get it. Uh, I rarely lose sight of it. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that I myself am personally grateful for being alive. Um, and it, I, before I recorded the note tonight, I grabbed a, uh, one of my roomy books off the shelf and was looking for a poem um, in the new Guilford translation. I couldn't find it, so and I needed to get the note done, so I, I didn't have a chance to to track it down. Um, but it, it's it's something along the lines: don't think of me as having died; think of me as having been dead and have come to life. Meaning that in the vast expanses of time that are before us there are vast expanses of time after us as well. Although I guess it depends on, I guess you could flip that around. I could mean after as in like, you know, trailing behind or after as in like after we're, we're gone. But I mean that there is an immensity that stretches fore and aft. And for much of that time, I wasn't here. I don't know where I was. I was nowhere. This is one of those, you know, kind of Zen koans and something that Rumi also uh, contemplates in his poems, uh, where were you before you were born? Um, and yeah, I wasn't here. Um, that's not necessarily a comfort. 
um, but it does help me feel gratitude for being here in this time and place, um, surrounded by all of you, uh, most of whom I will never meet, nor never know, nor never speak to. Uh, many of you who may not like my politics, um, may not like the sound of my voice, I am still happy to share this place with you. Um, I wouldn't choose to be born in any other time or place, um, to any other body surrounded by any other people. Uh, and I do feel real gratitude for that. Not a put on, not bullshit. That's actually how I feel about it. Um, and so, yeah, that's my note. Um, gratitude expressed. Thanks for listening. <laughs>